Hello and welcome to Wanna Hear Something Weird? A podcast all about weird stuff. I'm one of your hosts, Tom. I'm Laura. Uh, and uh, Laura, do you want to hear something weird? I 100%. Okay. I want to talk to you t- tonight about, uh, I was going to say today, but it is nighttime and nighttime's the right time. It's a spooky time. Right. That's it's the, the right creepy... time to be. If you're listening to this uh, during the day, you might be a scaredy cat. You might be too afraid to listen to it at night. Ideally, you want to listen to this podcast in your basement at midnight with all the lights off to, to be as spooky as possible. This isn't even, I guess this one's pretty spooky. It's known as Britain's Roswell. Britain's Roswell. Are you familiar with Roswell? Uh, yes, mm-hmm. vaguely. I'm familiar with it. As a place and the lore. If there's a right. specific event that you would ask me to rehash, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Well, just the the initial event, the crash that supposedly happened there. Like that that's what Roswell's all about. Why don't you give me a little refresher? <laughs> Not the listener. Uh so I think it was nineteen forty seven, I wanna say. Um there was a UFO crash and uni- literally a UFO and an unidentified flying object crashed on this rancher's ranch. And uh, a rancher the, had a ranch. Yeah, rancher had a ranch. Yeah, I mean, this was the '40s when you could do that. And the he had the Air Force come out, and they were like, "Well, I'll be damned." There's a flying saucer, and they put out a newspaper the next day. You know, flying saucer crashes in Roswell, New Mexico. And the day after that, the the United States Air Force comes out and says, "Oh." No, that was all a misunderstanding, a miscommunication. That was a weather balloon that crashed, not mm-hmm. not a um, not a flying saucer. And you know, ever since then, there's been debates about what actually happened. Uh, even now, the official story behind Roswell, I I, I want to say, it was like a decade ago. The government came out and said, "Okay, here's actually what was going on." And it had to do with spying on the Russians. So it was top secret. Uh, that's why we made up the weather balloon thing. I think they, they claimed there were like crash test dummies in some craft that they mm. were testing. And that's what people saw when they saw bodies and blah, blah, blah. Um, this, uh, this is, uh, I guess, known as the, the Rendlesham Forest Incident. Is commonly how it's referred to. Okay. Um, I'm intrigued already by, I just love a forest story, a spooky, oh, yeah. spooky forest story. Well, in this one, you know, similarities to Roswell in that, actually very similar to Roswell, even though it was in England, uh, the U.S. Air Force, this is their incident, essentially, that, mm. that happened. So another U.S. Air Force incident and another case of so much misinformation disinformation some people have one tale other people have another you know and and the diehard skeptics point to a very simple explanation and say everything's everything's out of control there are people that think it was you know something to do with the cold war some kind of either a russian ship or or drone or something like that or u.s one that was classified Hmm. All right. A lot. A lot to it. What are the facts? What are the the events? So here are the facts. 
It's happened in Suffolk, England. Okay. In Rendlesham Forest, there are two Air Force bases. Now, they are leased to the United States Air Force, even though they're in the UK. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they are called Bentwaters and Woodbridge. Uh, And they are uh, not too far away from each other, a few miles away, but like in the middle of kind of nowhere, just like in the middle of the forest, more or less. So this happened in 1980 uh, that it started the day after Christmas, which is Mm, Boxing Day, Boxing Day, which is also, you know, nice. Whoever was behind all this, be it extraterrestrials or the Russians, they were like, well, let everybody have a nice Christmas before we Let everyone have a good holiday, and then we begin to terrorize. And then we begin to just mess with people. Uh, But also could potentially be an explanation of, you know what, that's kind of like a boring time of the year, probably, if you're stationed uh, in an Air Force base away from your family. Uh, and mm-hmm. Maybe you start making some stuff up to have some fun. Hmm. But anyway, 1980, uh, December 26th, I believe it started about 3 a.m. Um, a uh, airman, first class, John Burroughs, was patrolling Woodbridge and he noticed some strange flashing red and blue lights in the forest. And he alerts his supervisor, Staff Sergeant Bud St- uh, Steffens. Uh, oh, and I should mention, uh, all this is coming from uh, this book, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest by Nick Pope and John Burroughs, U.S. Air Force retired, and Jim Penniston, U.S. Air Force retired. Those are two of the two of the guys you're going to hear about in this that had this encounter in Rendlesham Forest. Uh, and Nick Pope, uh, he worked for the United, for the uh for the UK oh. mm-hmm. um, government in a like UFO capacity of some sort, I okay. believe. But, but he's one of these guys who's been around forever, you know, uh, uh, writing books and giving talks and stuff. And, you know, he's a pretty credible guy, uh, pretty good reporter. So anyway, they see the uh, this guy, John Burroughs, he sees these lights. Now, the first thing that occurs to him and his supervisor is like, oh shit, we have an airplane crash, probably. Like, we're in the middle of the forest. It's 3 a.m. There's flashing lights descending into the forest. Uh, you know, somebody's uh, little light aircraft has gone down or something. So they go out to find it. They get, like, somewhat close to it, and they realize it's moving around in the forest, it's still a ways off, but they so can... there's a craft on the ground, or no, it's above trees. It's not a craft at all at this oh, point. Okay. It is just a light. Okay. So they they you know get closer to it, but they're still quite a ways away, and they see no, that's not an air. That's some glowing thing floating around the forest. That's eh, weird. We should probably <laughs> bump this up a, a level or two above us. Make sure we're uh, we're doing the right thing here. So they go back to base, they report it, they have like a secure landline, and they inform the law enforcement desk sergeant, uh, Sergeant Crash McCabe, who initially doubts the story, but later he he passes the information on to Staff Sergeant Dave Coffey. Coffey instructs Staff Sergeant James Penniston and Airman Edward Capensack to join Burroughs and Steffens at the East Gate, and Penniston 
he he believes that oh like yeah this sounds like an airplane crash like that's what he thinks he's uh responding to now another element here that is interesting it makes this like a little bit tricky kind of is because this is a u.s air force base but they're not on u.s soil mm, right they're on they're they're in england in, they're, yeah. they're on british soil and i believe one of the um one of the kind of stipulations uh around all this was these guys could not just like grab guns and go running out into the british countryside uh, okay that i i can't remember if they either didn't have guns with them or that there I, I believe it was like there's a procedure in order to because again they're not expecting that you know these two sleepy u.s air force outposts to be attacked or whatever in the middle of the night those two guys aren't expecting N- nobody them, of is, yeah of course you not. know it's, especially it's, it's boxing day it's boxing day and like it, it's the cold war you know they they they've they're you know, the U.S. Air Force is still there, probably from World War II, and is, you know, just, oh, this is closer to Russia. It's good. Right. We can keep a closer eye on them. So they uh, uh, they go driving into the forest. They, you know, hop on, a, like, a Jeep or whatever, and then uh, they eventually get to, like, a point where they have to walk, and they're walking through the forest. They start experiencing static electricity and difficulty moving. As they uh, are approaching the the source of the lights, hmm. almost like walking through Jello or something like that. Difficulty movie, like being yeah. held back, or yeah, like walking. I mean, I've never walked through Jello, but oh, I do. I mean, I was gonna say like walking a regular in basis. a pool, but okay, sure, yes. Jello. <laughs> I don't know why Jello came to mind. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was that hard. <laughs> So they're getting closer, and now they s- <laughs> <laughs> they see. <laughs> Do you need a minute? I'm just picturing a couple of like Air Force guys just walking, walking through, through Jello, like orange flavored Jello in a big pool. It wouldn't be uh, anyway <laughs> green to go with their camouflage. Uh, you know, I I didn't that I didn't think of that, but that's better. When I was a kid, I didn't you realize. Through Jell-O. No, I wish. I thought the U.S. Army's uh, logo, essentially, or like costume, was camouflage. And it was like, okay, so the U.S. wears the green camouflage. And like the bad guys, they can't wear that. Of course, they have to wear a different color. And I was like, man, that really sucks that they just like kind of called dibs on the best colors to wear. (laughs) Yeah, because like all of, you know, in, in any sort of media or something with soldiers it was yeah yeah, the other the other yeah the other the bad guys were uh, in right they 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 shot different colored lasers and yeah so you could tell who was who but anyway presumably (laughs) these guys they're able to wear camouflage uh so they're they go out there they're looking for guys that aren't wearing camouflage right they'll know they're bad guys right so they see a craft Mm. there's a a small craft it sounds like maybe the size of like a sports car okay it is on like a tripod kind of oh it has three like extended feet going out um and it is just resting on those feet and is it like circular 
Um, no, it's kind of triangular. Oh, okay. It's uh, metallic and it it's not making any noise whatsoever. Mm. Peniston, who's obviously the uh, the the daredevil of the group, is like, well, I'm gonna go touch it. Mm. I'm gonna see what what the deal is with this thing. Would you touch it? It's a pe- if uh, not right away. <laughs> Would you throw something at it? Um, I could see throwing sticks at it or something. <laughs> and what would that just to see, to see if it like, like bounces off yeah, or, or like zaps does it, them? Right, yeah, yeah, zap. So they see this craft; it, it's just sitting there quietly. So Penniston's like, "I'm gonna go touch it." He, he gets like kind of more electricity feel as he's moving towards it, but he touches it. He describes the the texture of it as smooth, like glass. With an one exception, which is where it felt like sandpaper, piper, <laughs> and uh, the places where it felt like sandpaper were places on the craft with symbols that he described looking like Egyptian hieroglyphs. Oh, okay. So there was like some kind of writing on this thing uh, that had a different texture to it. Huh. Which is very strange. Then uh, the craft, sl- like the the legs retract, it slowly lifts up, and then it just like rapidly takes off in, mm. into the distance. They lose sight of it. Now here's where it gets weird. Here's where stuff starts getting weird. Yeah, oh, okay. I thought we were already at that part. That's what you would think. When Peniston goes back and like regroups with the guys. They notice that their watches that were previously synchronized are no longer synchronized. Hmm. So time seemed to have been moving a little differently. I forget if it was slower or faster. It was just like a few uh, seconds or minutes. But something weird happened there with time. So the guy who went up to the craft. Yeah, his watch no longer matched the other The other two. Hmm. Implying that being close to the the craft in some way affected how time moved for him, and there and uh, there's another like really crazy element to that that I will get to uh, towards the end. And Burroughs had kind of like fragmented memories about this. Don't I was gonna say don't quote me on this, but I believe uh, it's being it, recorded. I, don't I know. know if you know that. <laughs> I believe it was him that. Um, that when he went back to the to the base or whatever, like he wrote down some of his thoughts, what what he saw, he like drew what he saw in a notebook, but then it was like the next day he didn't remember any of that stuff. Oh, okay. But it was you know he had written it down, uh, which is obviously very strange. They go back to the base. Um, you know, they're, they're confused. They're debriefed. A lot of people at the base saw the lights. Okay. You know, so it was kind of like they came back and everybody's waiting for him. Like, what happened? What was that all about? And this is another place where things get weird because they report the incident to local police and they report it internally within the military, of course. But a lot of those documents went missing. Hmm. Which suggests some kind of cover up. Okay. And like I said, there was, you know, a lot of complexities with, with this being a US military base, but on UK soil, you know, kind of jurisdiction things of who 
the handles this. Right. Who gets to investigate it? Who gets to have any evidence about yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, the next day, Penniston goes back. He feels compelled to return to the site, he says. And he makes uh, plaster casts of the indentations. Oh, of that, the... That uh, were left. Those, the tongue, what, yeah. the legs. Yeah, yeah, the little legs. Um, he tried to take photographs but the film fogged up the the pictures did not come out hmm. implying something in that area was kind of uh, interfering with it so you know a lot of hubbub or whatever back at the base people are talking about all this stuff oh, um, i can understand why yeah and um i think it's two nights later on the 28th there's a uh, like an award ceremony, like a kind of sounded like it was like a late holiday party. Uh, oh, uh-huh. an award ceremony happening at uh, I don't know if the bar was on the base or like right outside the base or whatever, but like the bar they all hung out at. OK. At some point in the proceedings, Lieutenant Bruce England, which is funny because he's in England, that's England, <laughs> um, the on duty shift commander entered the premises looking shell shocked. He took Halt, who was the, did I mention who he was already? He's like the highest ranking guy. He takes Halt aside and says, it's back. And Mm. Halt looks confused for a minute and asks, what's back? The response from England was clear. The UFO is back, sir. Uh, Perhaps because he felt, this is from the book, uh, perhaps because he felt it was important for him to present the awards. There's like a higher ranking guy than Halt there. Oh, okay. And uh, he's he's presenting the awards and perhaps uh, his name's Conrad. It was important for him to present the awards, perhaps because he was skeptical that there was any substance to UFO things or perhaps because as the old military saying goes, rank has its privileges. Conrad made a decision. He would remain at the social function and Halt would go into the woods to mm-hmm. to see uh, what what these lights were about. Yeah. Well, so do we have a sense at this point if if the people back at the base are believing this? I mean, the, I know that some of them saw lights, but are mm-hmm. people kind of, is a consensus like this is a UFO, this is something very strange? Or is it, yeah, we saw some lights, I think but it's there's a, probably a good explanation and it kind shrugging of sounds it off. like that. Okay. Like these guys are kind of being encouraged not to talk about it at the base. So it sounds like it kind of runs again. Like some people are very skeptical. A lot of these people are very skeptical about, it. you know, the people that the people who saw witnessed it. it themselves. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes so sense. Colonel Halt, he's a Colonel. There it is. He decides he's very skeptical and he's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. So he forms a team, including Lieutenant England, mentioned earlier, Sergeant Nevels with a Geiger counter, mm-hmm. and Master Sergeant Ball. They bring with them recorders, night vision, and other gear, including these things called light alls, which are basically just like gigantic strobe, not strobe lights, but like floodlights. And they light all? Yeah. Do you need just to light a huge area? You mm-hmm. use a light all. The light alls malfunction. They're not working. Mm, classic. Yeah. They go back to the landing site and the Geiger counter uh, readings increase near the indentations. So we're back at the same site from the previous night. Yes. 
Okay. They're out there looking for these lights that have been reported, and and they decide like, well, first things, for, let's go back to where people saw them last time. That's probably where it is, and okay. let's bring all this stuff with us. Now, what is fascinating about all this is that, and it is now declassified. Halt brought a voice recorder with him, and is basically just gave a running commentary of everything that's going on. And you can listen to that. It's on YouTube, like the the full audio. And you hear him being like, wow, look at oh, the guy. Oh, yeah, look at that. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm measuring the indentations, and this is the reading I'm getting. They also find that there are, like, uh, trees nearby that are burned, seemingly from this craft. Halt and his team, then they start hearing, uh, like, strange noises from nearby farm animals. Okay. They observe a small red light in the forest, which appears to move and emit different colors. Mm. Um, and again, you can you can listen to this, and it's kind of crazy because he's explaining like they're seeing it, and you can hear the other guys like, "Oh my god, there it is!" At one point, it shoots a beam of light right in front of them, and and they're explaining it like it is there's a beam of light right in front of us like right at our feet it's crazy and when they come back finally they see a ufo hovering over uh the woodbridge uh base as well do we i'm guessing it's a triangle again or a triangular shape again same i'm not sure it seems like the only time people saw the triangular shape was when it was on the ground, when uh, okay. when Penniston went up to it and touched it, mm-hmm. and again, like uh, I, I mean, I was telling you before we started recording this because I I read this book I think like a year or two ago, and I thought ah, I'll just you know get a quick synopsis online, and there is a lot of stuff in the book that is not online, uh, in in kind of almost a strange way of. Like, mm-hmm. huh, that's weird wire. Conspiracy. And like a lot of stuff about debunking. One of the big debunks is um, that there is a lighthouse a few miles away that apparently can be seen at certain points in the forest. And there is actually like a pretty damning, I think it was like a 1984 CNN report uh, that again is on YouTube where somebody synced up the audio with the lighthouse. Oh, the recording that those guys made. Yeah. And sure enough, every, you know, rotation of the light, the guys are like, there it is again. Mm. See, it does make you think like, oh, was it, was that part of it? Almost as if the events of a couple of days earlier, you know, were stuck in their mind. So they were almost like. Yeah, they went out there. Went there looking, looking for, for that, something. Right. Uh, right. Okay. Now the the thing that I mentioned earlier, which I was surprised, I could not find a lot of a lot about this online, but it is mentioned in the book that Penniston was like, oh, also when I touched the aircraft, I went somewhere else, kind of, hmm. and in my mind, I just saw flashing ones and zeros. Just tons of flashing ones and zeros. And he said for the next like 72 hours, he could not get these numbers out of his head. And finally, he was like, I'm going to write them down. That way, I'll get them out of my head. So he writes them down. Years Just ones and zeros. Ones and zeros. Years and years later, he is um, 
being interviewed by Unsolved Mysteries, of mm-hmm. course. And he, you know, the producers are asking him about something and he's looking through his records and they see that he has this notebook that has 16 pages of ones and zeros written wow. out. And they're like, wait, what's that? He's like, oh, yeah, that I, I had to write it down because I couldn't get it out. So they analyze it and it's binary code. Oh. Spells out a <sighs> bunch of locations around the world and coordinates. What? Yeah. It is very strange. I mean, I also think it's strange that, so wait, they use binary, but then it's in English. But it's like, eh, maybe they were, you know, they knew, Mm. oh, this guy knows English, but I don't know. Like aliens know this guy knows English. This is the way we'll be able to This guy knows English, but they don't have the numbers into his brain. They don't have the English language plug in for their spacecraft. information transmitter just put it let's binary. make it a little more complicated everybody speaks binary he'll know he'll know <laughs> what it means there are some that are like in egypt like it's kind of in you know ufo hot spots or or places that are you know always okay. rumored to have sightings of ufos sightings or their energy vortexes or or you know whatever it's simultaneously the most fascinating part of the story and also, I think the hardest to kind of swallow. Hmm. Really? Uh, that that they transmitted binary code to this guy that he oh, remembered that, yes. and wrote it down. And it happened to be English, but yeah. he didn't know that for a while. And I, I find that harder to believe than the other stuff. But uh, but as I said, these guys, their memories, you know, and, and they got together to write this book. And they found that like their memories of the incident are different from each other. Okay. Um, their notes, they have notes that they don't remember, but you know, their notes that were taken right after the incident happened while it was fresh in their memory. Hmm. So yeah, it sounds like just kind of uh, all kinds of weirdness. So what sort of was the reception? Do we know what the reception was within, whether it's within the air force Mm -hmm. specifically or with the public at that time i mean do we know if people just kind of like the government tried to sweep it under the rug or yeah basically that's what they they told these guys like hey don't don't mention it don't talk about it uh like i said a, a lot of documents went missing during that time there there's evidence that like this went further up the the flagpole than uh, than like the you know the the Air Force admitted to at the time. Mm. There's still weird stories about that forest. There's now a UFO trail at that forest where you can kind of like follow mm. uh, and and go to where uh, where they they claim they saw the craft. And I think there's like a you know a model of the craft there. You know like an oh, installation classic. type thing. Yeah. So now it's like a tourist. Yeah, just like Roswell. Now it's yeah. now it's been turned into. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't look like it's anywhere near that level, but uh, but yeah, just kind of a really weird incident. Weird that there's audio of yes of a person having the and not just a person you know a, an air force uh person yeah <laughs> again they could have been bored they could have been stir crazy or whatever but certainly does not help uh, certainly at that time especially like did not help your career to right make, so make we'll, this kind of stuff up and right you wouldn't just 
fool around with something like that. I mean, did they face any negative response? Um, I I believe they that it did kind of limit their careers. Uh, but the fact that there's more than one of them, they've taken notes. There's audio. I mean, yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely supports the idea that something happened. You know, and and there are theories again, even to this day, that a crashed Russian satellite. And that's the explanation for all the subterfuge uh, because it it was a delicate thing. But Um, then it wouldn't have just disappeared, right? Like it. No. Yeah. Then there would have been people there cleaning up the, the wreckage. And, and I also think that kind of thing, if they would have to have people cleaning up the wreckage and they would probably tell these two guys, Hey, idiots, (laughs) Stop talking about a UFO. It wasn't that. Yeah. It was something, you know, it, maybe you're not cleared to know what it was, but. It's not that. It's not. Stop talking about <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and that kind of never happened. There wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, a, a huge uh, response to this. It kind of sounds like a lot of people all the way up at the base just kind of had no idea what to do and how to respond to this. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a, you know, let's, let's not think about it. Let's not talk about it. And hopefully it will stop happening. And eventually, yeah, uh, it did. It stopped happening. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, speaking of crazy, we have our first voicemail this week. <gasps> uh, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, Hey, you can, uh, uh, just like record a voice on your phone and email it to us. I want to hear pod, pod at gmail.com or you can go to speakpipe.com slash want to hear pod. Wow. And uh, you can you can just record a message right there. Let's listen to uh, this message. Hey, you guys. Um, I just wanted to send a quick note to uh, say thank you for the podcast. It is uh Awesome, and I, I look forward to uh, to hearing more. Also, I needed to tell you this story. So, um, I live in Lesotho, which is in Africa, and I live or I work in like the uh, kind of development sector. So, I uh, work with a lot of people in rural areas and um, people who just uh, live very different lives to what we're uh, used to. A friend of mine who is also a, a pilot, we fly to remote villages. He um, landed the other day and uh, heard people from the uh, clinic talking uh, about this thing that happened. And um, he got a translation and what the uh, people from the clinic were saying is that in the village close by, recently three adults uh, hatched from an egg and um, everyone's talking about it. Um, That is the extent of the story because there is no more information. So I just thought you guys would like to hear that. Um, I'm sure you have questions, as do we, but uh, that's all we got. So uh, that's happening in Africa. I'm sure you guys are uh, interested and uh, need to know more, but uh, sorry, I cannot tell you more. Anyway, thanks guys. I look forward to hearing future episodes. And I am literally standing on the side of a mountain where I just landed. And I was listening to your podcast while I was waiting for uh, passengers. So I thought I would uh, send you a note while I think of it. All right. Bye. Wow. Uh, That was from Grant. That, uh, I mean, speaking of 
uh, you know, contemporaneously recording yourself while crazy things are happening out in the field. Uh, (laughs) He he heard this story. Hey, if you hear a a weird story like Grant did, stop what you're doing. Boots on the ground reporting. Yeah, this guy's on the side of a mountain. He landed his plane just to send us this message. Um, (laughs) Eggs hatch or three adults hatching from an egg. Adult humans, I'm assuming. Yeah, adult humans, presumably. I mean, that sure would be the talk of the town. I would say talk of the the country. Yeah, Um, something. I think it's interesting, the idea, two two things about that. Maybe three. Three, the idea of uh, the first one, uh, humans hatching from eggs. (laughs) Uh, But number two, the fact that they were adults. Yes. And number three, that there were three of them in one egg. I yes, think that's what it sounds like. All three we, were in yeah, one egg. Three people hatch from an egg, not um, three you know. separate eggs. That makes yeah, sense. That, well, well, that's it's a plausible. little more believable. <laughs> um, I mean, <sighs> I can't even imagine what that what that could even be. Or yeah, I mean, they like did have to or... get it translated, so maybe something was lost in the translation. I mean, but, but I can't oh, they're no, pretty they simple was, words. <laughs> was, no, they weren't adults. They were children. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, that's crazy. And I mean, he's he's right. I, I absolutely do want to know more. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awful that. Uh, Where are the people now? That's my biggest thing that, you know, he has no more information. But uh, but that's my question. Like, so the, those three people just live in that town now where the you know the people the, that were already living there being like well yeah it's weird how you came to be here but yeah and is it a situation where they kind of have i would imagine they'd have to teach people how to integrate into society it's like <laughs> right. a real or did three people hatch from an egg and you know just take off running hey maybe or, you know uh but, you know, it could also be one of those, you know, lost in translation things of it could have been a, a UFO uh, craft landed and three people came out mm-hmm. and that's what it looked like. Mm. Three people hatching from an egg or whatever. And, yeah. you know, maybe it cracked like an egg and they came out and that was how it got lost in translation. Interesting thought. I also am curious about, well, we don't have answers and neither just Grant, but... Mm-hmm. Where did this happen? What, I mean, was it in a you know a field or was it in a yeah, like in the town square? How many yeah, people saw it? Right. Yeah. The, what is the eggshell still there? Yeah. Where is that? Yeah. Well, if you're what are those eggs called? The the really expensive ones? Faberge eggs. Yeah. 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 Are they fancy? <laughs> are they like Faberge? Are they eggs? worth something? <laughs> Uh, well, if you live in this, uh, small village that Grant's telling us about and you have any of these answers, uh, want to hear pod at gmail.com or, uh, speakpipe.com slash, uh, want to hear pod, uh, send us a voicemail. Let us know. Well, that was a great story and definitely can definitely weird. De- definitely weird. Something I've never heard before. <laughs> uh, and, uh, if you like the show. Why not leave us a little rating on uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts? Uh, those five-star ratings go a long way, especially if you write a little note. It really helps people find the show. Yep. Um, and you can also uh, follow us on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all those things, at Pod. Um, 
Yeah. And send us feedback again. Want to hear pod at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in a note. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Want to hear something weird is a clamor audio production distributed by the cloud 10 network hosted and executive produced by Tom Reynolds and me, Laura Anderson, executive produced by Aaron Hilliard. Clamor General Manager Rich Statter, Associate Producer Ethan Aronson, Post-Production Supervised by Devin Ruskin, Production Assistant Samara Mullick, Special Thanks to Sim Sarna and Saiba Krieger at CloudTech. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.